Welcome to Food at the Table, the small group podcast with Rev and Kev. Y'all, we're back to having another episode of Ask a Pastor today, and we're really kind of excited about it. But first things first, I don't know if you guys have been on our social medias, if you're looking on our Anchor logo, our Spotify logo, or anything like that. We want to give a huge shout out to Landon at Happy Squid Productions. You know, he hooked us up with an awesome new logo and also like new advertisements and things like that, announcement screens. You know, it is awesome that people are pouring into this podcast. So, mm-hmm. Landon, thank you so much, bud. We really do appreciate you. Guys, hop over, check out Happy School Productions. They have so much more that he, like, builds and produces. If you ever need a shout-out, let me know. I'll get you hooked up with him. But, guys, it is just so awesome that we're starting to reach more and more people. And, guys, with this Ask a Pastor, we had some fantastic questions coming. I'm wonderful questions. I'm so excited to jump on this. But, guys, if you have questions like this, guys, these questions that you're offering, you know, you might think it's very trivial for you. But it's very important for us to get these because what might be trivial to you might be very important to someone else. So, please, if you have a question, you think, hey, maybe I know the answer to this, but what about this? Please send us your questions. And, Kevin, how can they reach us, buddy? Yeah. Uh so, guys, we are on a bunch of different social medias. Uh, if you're on TikTok, Rev.Wayne. Facebook and Instagram, at Food at the Table Podcast. And Twitter, at Food at the Table. And, uh, again, if for some reason you're feeling very business-minded, we do have an email where you can send your questions to us. Food at the Table Podcast at gmail.com. Come on, you professionals. We appreciate you guys. <laughs> but, honestly, like, these... We got these questions through Facebook. A couple of them came through my TikTok. Mm-hmm. And you know, these are pretty some really hardcore questions mm-hmm. to start off with. So uh, our first question here, Wayne, is a question that uh, we really should have talked about before now. Probably should have been in the first episode. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, that is a huge oversight on our part. And uh, to the person who uh, asked this question, thank you for doing that because that's just kind of a reminder for us that we have to realize that we could be talking to people who have no idea what we're talking about. Yeah, we kind of take it in, in for granted that we you know well, this yeah. is a Christian podcast where I think we're talking to like churchgoers, but not everybody who claims the name of Christ who's been saved by the grace of God goes to church. So you never know that you guys might not know this question. Yeah. So. Question number one, what is a small group? <laughs> like, it's so, like, when you're looking at it from this angle, like, yeah, you know, I grew up in that little small Baptist church. You yeah. Know, we didn't have small groups. Yeah. So this is definitely an oversight on our end. Yeah. But, oh, man, that's a good question. You know, what is a small group? A small group is, uh, in a way, it's a small discipleship group. It's designed to help build you up as a believer by doing questions, kind of, you know, the whole model of what we're doing here, mm-hmm. taking questions, talking back and forth with it, because uh, small groups are really designed for everybody outside of the laity, uh, or everybody in the laity, everybody outside the pastorate. In the, the what? The laity, the people that go to church. Okay. <laughs> everybody besides the pastor. Gotcha. Yeah. When we really look at uh, Bible teachers, we really do look at those Bible believers, like the pastors, we look at deacons, we look at Sunday school teachers, these people that we have held as these high regards in the church, and we leave them to all the answers. Well, that has gotten a lot of people in trouble over the years. Yeah. So small group is a good way to say, hey, look at 
the people who sit in the pew. Look at the people who sit in the Sunday school class. What do you think? A lot of the Sunday school material and things like that go back towards kind of more of the small group model, which is, hey, let's take this passage. Let's dive into it a little bit more. Uh, the, honestly, we could talk about really kind of the, you know, what a small group, what do you get out of it and things like that, which I think would be great. Let's do that too. Hey, while we're here. Might as well. When it comes to like small group, what the whole point of it is, is for us to be able to dive deeper into the word of God and discuss back and forth. Kind of like what me and Kevin are doing here. When we have that ability, we are not only able to express our thoughts and open up to that moment where we're able to talk about our faith, which can lead easier into us, you know, feeling comfortable talking about that gospel conversation, Mm -hmm. telling somebody else about Christ. Why? Because you're already used to talking about the Bible to people. So it leads us into that, but it helps us dive deeper into what we get, especially from the sermons. One of my favorite uh, small groups that I have been a part of was every Sunday we get uh, the sermon. Pastor would print us out notes. We take those notes. We go to our Sunday schools or go to our small groups and things like that. And in our small groups, we discuss the sermon. And we go point by point and we go deeper. What did you get out of this? Where could have this gone? Did we critique the sermon? No. Our job was not to judge the pastor. Our job was to take it one step further. Mm-hmm. Sermons a lot of times have become very topical. We get very much just the top end. So when you can get that moment to dive deeper into the word, to take it a little bit farther, to take what the pastor just exegeted, where he just pulled it out of scripture, where he explained all the different parts of it, where he kind of showed you all this information, and to go even further than that. Mm -hmm. Well, what does this really mean? It really brings it to that point. And that's really, that's what the idea of having a small group kind of boils down to. It's literally just a, a group of people all coming together to go deeper into the Bible than just sitting there for an hour or something like that. Mm-hmm. Just having stuff thrown at you. Yeah. Cause when we lecture you, I mean, one of the things is, especially when it comes to lecturing, you know, I, I see the blank face all the time. Mm-hmm. It's like, what are you getting out of this? Nothing. Cause you've turned me off. Like you, you turned off the switch. Mm-hmm. You're done for the day. But when you're able to actually participate in the conversation, you tend to be more attentive. You dive deeper into mm. it. And it's so much it's so much fun. I got introduced to a small group actually at uh, Lee. Ah, you know, it's the first time I ever had a small group. Mm. Growing up in that small red brick Baptist church, maybe yeah. 60 people in the church. Yeah. We did not have small groups. Think of if... I guess kind of the closest thing you might be able to compare it to is sort of like a more interactive version of Sunday school. Really, it is, yeah. But even like when it came down to Sunday school, you know, that was very heavy. You're right. It has to be more the interactive Mm. because it was very heavy lecture. Yeah. Well, what do you think about this? Well, nobody wants to answer at 930 in the morning. Nobody's even awake. I don't want to be awake at 930 in the morning. Exactly. You know, I had, you know, when I first got, I accepted my call into the ministry. Mm. I was one of three boys in the church that did. And I think, honestly, that'll probably be the closest to my first experience with small group, if I'm going to correct myself here. Uh, the pastor, or the deacon over us, you know, brought us together, brought us into the room, and started showing us basic uh, sermon etiquette. And what we were supposed to do was take a passage of scripture and discuss it back and forth. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the most out of a Sunday school class I have ever gotten, because the three of us, plus the teachers, we went around the circle. Hey, what did you get out of this passage? What did you see out of this passage? What is going on with this? You know, taking Sunday school material, mm-hmm. diving deeper and talking about what did you get from it? 
And that is very much uh, what a small group is. Yeah. And so now that I'm looking at it, it's kind of awesome. Because <laughs> we didn't call it that. We called it the Pastor Boys. We hung out, you know. But small group is not just like taking Bible stories and lessons and things like that. You can do so much more with it, too. Like, I mean, I've, I've seen this trend recently where uh, people have uh, started, instead of calling them small groups, they've started calling them community groups. Or life groups. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and kind of the idea behind that is to um, get it across that it's not just... Oh, get together to go over some sort of piece of scripture thing. Like we're living theory, life together. <laughs> yeah, you. These are uh, supposed to be your friends that you are coming together with and uh, discussing anything and everything. Just like what's going on in your life. How how's uh, the family doing? Uh, hey, did you see the game the other night? <laughs> How can we help support you as a person, not just you as a faith member? Exactly. And I think, honestly, that, that drive to building that community life group, that's what small groups are designed to do. Mm. And that's what we're doing kind of here with this podcast. And the design was to bring people into a community where we could have this open discussion. Yeah. It's why these questions are awesome. It's because oh, we're asking yes. it for them. What are you guys thinking? Or, hey, you know, you, you heard our answer and you have a different part of the answer you want to give. Send it in. I mean, that's what we're asking you for. But when it comes to like the idea of the believer, small groups build you up as a disciple and it puts you, it plugs you in. Yeah. A lot of churches are getting too big. And I hate to say it that way, but it's true. You know, when you have four or five, 6,000 plus people in a church, a lot of times what happens is you get lost. You, you feel like you're just a member of the crowd. Some people go to church, go to churches outside for that reason. They like to be lost in the crowd because they don't want to feel uh, the burden yeah. on them, which I'm going to say it that way because if I'm just here in the crowd, nobody's going to miss me if I miss a Sunday. Yeah, if you're just another face. Yeah, I'm, you're just a number is all you really come down to. But small groups was designed to take those kind of people who say, hey, I'm just a number in the church and really kind of plug you into the community because when you're just a number, you miss out on so much yeah. more of the fellowship. Mm-hmm. And you know, when I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good Southern Baptist boy. When we say fellowship, there's always food. But that's not the most important part is that moment to talk back and forth mm. that really kind of helps build that. Yeah. And when it looks looking at it on the pastor perspective, what it's really good for for your church, you know, for a pastor who's listening to this, why are small groups important for you? Honestly, it will help build your church quickly because people are going to come to the small groups first before they come to the sanctuary. Theoretically. Well, it happens. The numbers show it. They'll come to the small group first because you say, hey, we're having small group this week. How about you come hang out with us? I said the theoretically thing, meaning if the people in the small group are inviting other people to come to the small group. That's true. That's got to happen first. Well, definitely. And when you build that small group, you want to train your leaders. Hey, invite more people to it. Mm -hmm. You know, build your small group to where you have to split the small group up and build more small groups off it. You know, there is always that rule of 10. Mm-hmm. Now have 10 groups build off that 10. Once you get to the point where you're at like 15, take five of those say, Hey, go build another small group. You know, invite more people. You know, you want to do the multiplication yeah. uh, factor, trying to get more and more people in. But if your small groups are inviting people, they're going to come to that small group. They're going to get introduced to some people. So when they're walking through the front door, they're not, Oh no, where do I sit? They have people going, Hey Steve, come sit with us. Yeah. Hey Jan, you should sit right next to me here. Come hang out with us. It's, Less overwhelming. Yeah. 
because you, you when you're that stranger, everybody turns and looks at you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll be honest with you. When I got saved, that was the one thing that really, like the church I got saved in. What really drove us to that church was the fact that when we walked through the door, a brother, a brother from the back stood up, shook our hands, and said, hey, come sit with us. Mm. And, you know, it was an awesome invitation. We had no clue who this person was. Now, hey, come sit with us. We'd love to have you. Mm. Okay, shoot. Yeah, let's come sit with you. Spend some time together. And, you know, we had a lot of fun being able to have that community, and we built friends that way. Mm-hmm. When I was at Lee, you know, some of the topics we hit, we hit a lot of harder topics, too, because there are some topics that, you know, you don't want to talk about behind the pulpit. You know, we have what's called the secret sins or the taboo stu- studies, mm-hmm. which should not exist wholeheartedly. Absolutely not. But there are some things like, you know, the pastor brought this up behind the pulpit, what would be the reaction of the church? So, yeah. And the harsh uh I guess topics that you have to be careful about. Yeah. Well, you know, and we kind of brought them up back and forth on this uh, channel yeah. a little bit. But, you know, one thing definitely, like for guys, you know, if you have a guy's small group, mm-hmm. in that small group, you can talk about porn addiction. You can go into these different, like, secrets and sexual sins that we mm-hmm. deal with every day. You know, go into the girls' small group, the women's small group. You can do the same thing. Like, hey, what are you guys struggling with? And going deeper into those than a pastor from behind the pulpit. A small group can also be a way to kind of hold each other accountable. Yeah. And it's what you really need to do. You know, one thing, uh, working through the Conquer series, which has been fantastic. I love that series. Uh, doing it with people just to help them get through it. Mm-hmm. Never experienced it before. I decided, hey, yeah, let's try through it. One of the things, they have a battle group. That's what they call it. You know, these are people you're coming next together to fight through the battle. And honestly, that's what small groups are. They're small little squads. These are people who are going to be watching your back, helping you out while you're fighting against the enemy through everything you're doing in your life. Small groups make a huge difference. Absolutely. And honestly, you know, that's one thing we're trying to start up here at our church now is trying to get small groups going, trying to build these things up. But when you have that ministry in your church, you'll see so much growth come so quickly mm-hmm. if you put the effort behind it. Mm-hmm. And don't let it become just a social club. And that's That'll what, be the death of anything. That will destroy it. When it becomes a click, you're going to lose that ministry quickly and your church will start to fall. So as pastors, one thing to be, assert, uh, to be sure of here is... The kind of the breakdown of a small group is the pastor or the person who oversees the ministry mm. will have his leaders. His leaders will have their small groups. And you kind of have that tree effect. Pastors keep your leaders accountable. Your leaders are keeping the groups accountable. And they're all working together to keep each other accountable. Yeah. But you're still interactive. If a pastor's not in a small group, that pastor needs to be in a small group. He does not need to be leading it. He does not need to be doing any extra work if he does not have to. But he needs to be in a community group working with some mm. people. Because that's where you find your friends. Absolutely. That's really where you find the people that you know, hey, these guys are going to look at me and go, hey, pastor, that was a great sermon Sunday. Or, hey, pastor, this is what you said. Uh, Can we talk about that a little bit more? Mm. Yeah, sure. Let's talk about it. And I mean, you know, I'm sure you can attest to this. (laughs) But uh, from what I've seen, at least, being a pastor isn't always the easiest thing. There's a lot of... uh, uh, heavy emotions and uh, busy days that come along with uh, being a pastor, or so I have witnessed. <laughs> and a pastor being in a small group, that could almost be his kind of 
hey, these are people I am kind of safe around. This is my safe space. Uh, this is where I can get whatever I need to get off of my chest. Mm-hmm. So it's not just the other people growing when a pastor is in a small group. That small group is also being a huge asset for that pastor. No, wholeheartedly, because uh, when we look at the job of the pastor, the pastor is known as the loneliest job ever. Because mm-hmm. who can we trust? Mm-hmm. You know, if I say one thing to one person in the church, if I don't say it carefully, or if I say it to the wrong person, it's throughout the whole church, and it's been more 400 times. You guys have played the game telephone growing up, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I know I'm older than you are, Kevin, but making sure we're still in the same generation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but the game telephone, you know, it goes down four or five people, and all of a sudden, it's a whole different story. Mm-hmm. Happens so often to pastors. You know, not only that, you know, pastors are often get caught up in these different things because there's no one keeping them accountable. They're keeping everybody else accountable, but nobody's keeping us accountable. Mm-hmm. But when you have that life, when you have that kind of part in your life where you, no one's pouring into you, you lose a lot. It's very draining, I would imagine. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you, Kevin, we're going to be honest with you. I mean, you've heard me complain and rant and say things. So, yeah. I mean, honestly, that's one nice thing about our small group here is, you know, mm-hmm. we, we had already established this friendship where we could communicate yeah. back and forth. And that's always been the nice thing. Uh, guys, you know, if you listen to the first episode, me and Kevin, like, came to know each other like a little over a year ago mm. and it was just all of a sudden out of the blue boom friendship and mm. this is where we're at and it's awesome and it's amazing i love it because we're doing stuff like this mm. but there it comes too many times pastors will quit the ministry pastors commit suicide pastors completely just die out people do they do stupid things mm. all because they are lost in their own selves they're by themselves they feel empty they have no one pouring into them no one's spending time with them. No friends. And that small group, as little as that might seem, having that connection within a small group could have totally changed all of it. It makes the difference. Honestly. Because mm-hmm. even, you know, the pastor's not going to get into the small group and do a rant session. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh my goodness, I can't believe you. Did you hear what this little blue-haired lady in the back row said to me today? I can't believe. No, they're not going to do that. That'd be the whole other issue if that was going on. Oh, yeah. He needs to go to counselor. <laughs> but what they're going to do is they're going to be able to be a part of it. And you're going to go, Pastor, how are you doing today? Yeah. And, you know, hopefully you built that relationship where they can be honest with you. Hey, you know, I've been struggling. We got a lot of stuff going mm-hmm. on. And it's nice that we're busy. But I just I needed the me moment. Mm-hmm. And to be able to be honest and open with somebody. Too often times we put pastors on the pedestal. Yeah, and the small group really can kind of not just take them off the pedestal and make them like the regular person because that's all we are. The difference between you and me is I have a calling in my life to preaching the gospel. Mm. That's what we call like vocational ministry. We're all called to ministry. I'm called to vocational ministry. You're the one called to do it as a job. Yeah. Well, when it comes to this kind of idea, there's no difference between us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm very glad when I can say vocational ministry. And you're like, haha, wait, I read that book. I read that book. <laughs> I know what that means. I <laughs> uh, just look at your eyes and like, yeah, oh, wait, I know the definition. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> but when we can build that kind of friendship, when you can build a community in your church on a small scale, the community in your church throughout the building mm. becomes huge. Absolutely. And you build so many friendships. That's why a lot of these, uh, I don't want to call them new age 
churches because they're really not new age. They're an old fashioned church style. It's a different church build plant, uh, building idea. I'm trying to get the word out. It's not working. Uh, but the way they come into when you have like these churches that start up in high schools that start off, uh, renting out places, borrowing places, the way that they are so successful, successful, if I said that word right, mm-hmm. uh, was because they built a community on the smaller scale. That pastor was building friends and said, hey, come, come to my church. And, you know, they, put, they always put them in groups, get a handful of people, train them how to be leaders, teach them up the way of the word, and send them out. Hey, go grab some more people. I mean, really, you got to think about it. The idea of a small group started at the very, 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 very beginnings of Christianity. House churches. Yeah, That's you're on literally point. what yeah. it is. <laughs> Wholeheartedly. Because, yeah, small groups, you meet in somebody else's house. You know, uh, some people meet in church buildings. They'll take a classroom, and that's where they're small. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Meet at a house, have food. Meet at a restaurant, have food, do something. But it is. This is how the disciples did it. And look at how big the church grew in just the short years after Christ went to heaven, after he ascended back up to glory. Yep. I mean, it was rapid, and the community within the believers was huge. Mm-hmm. And what do we find now? There is too much competition among believers. And that's a whole other thing. That is, uh, I, I honestly think that is a beautiful segue into our next question. Fair. What's our next one? So we have here, what do you do when you are loving God, but not loving what man has done to his church? <laughs> that was a beautiful segue. <laughs> you know, Kevin, you and I both looked at these questions. Mm-hmm. And I forgot that was the next one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we. But you, no, you, it's right. We have too much competition with the church. There's a lot of things going wrong in the church. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from a pastor's perspective, mm-hmm. that's a very hard thing to say. Because we're the under shepherds of the flock, we're the ones leading from the front. But the problem is. And I'm going to say this mm-hmm. is a lot of times a lot of these under shepherds are not leading from the front anymore. They're leading from the back, bossing people around. That is the difference between a, lo- a boss and a leader, where they sit. Yep. But what do you do when you're loving God, or when you're in that like niche of loving God, but you're not loving what the church? Do I have to ask the question? I'm just going to ask it very plainly. Mm-hmm. What are you loving? Because they know you are my believers by the way you love one another. Mm-hmm. And that's not just going for the person asking the question. It's going for the people that is in his church. Because there are a lot of things going on in the church that are wrong. But when you walk into a group of human beings, uh, there, there's a lady in our church. She says this to me all the time. And I love it. A church is perfect until you put people in it. Mm-hmm. it it's absolutely true. People mess up stuff. We are human. We are mess- messed up. We make mistakes. We make things way too personal. We do things too much damage. We do a lot of different things because we are sinful inerrantly. Yeah. And that means from the root of our being, we are sinful. Well, so we're gonna make we're gonna mess stuff up. Mm-hmm. So when you're loving God, are you loving God strictly for the fact that you're searching after one thing? Are you searching out for the fun music? Are you not loving what's going on, what they're doing with God's church? 
Are you not loving certain things like, oh, I don't like that kind of music or I don't like that kind of preaching or I don't like what they're wearing? Is that the problem is where I kind of have to come to ask. Mm-hmm. But I kind of have a tendency to think that this goes a little bit more towards more of political, like personal beliefs when we think about this. Because the church right now has one big issue. And it's the difference between being righteous and being hateful. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I know one of our questions, we're going to touch on this ho- hopefully today, if not part two. We'll see what happens. <laughs> But when it comes down to this idea of hatefulness within the church, mm-hmm. that idea of love the sinner, hate the sin mentality is out there. And, you know, there's a whole movement that says, hey, you know, no, how about we just love the sinner? How about we just love people? How about we just love them? Well, the thing is, is I don't love you wholeheartedly. And I'm not willing to look at you and say, hey, guys, mm. this is where we can improve. This is where we're messing up. Yeah. When you, we're making mistakes. If you can't correct me, you don't love me. That's in Proverbs. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, uh, man, you really want me to find that passage. But it's the ideology that, you know, it's better for you to scorn me. to A, lo- a loving scorn, a loving correction mm-hmm. is better than a hateful hiding, than holding back. Yeah. It's pretty much where it's going. That's the Wayne version. You know, look it up, guys. It's great. But. If you're not willing to correct me, then there's a problem. If you're afraid of being corrected, there's a problem. Mm-hmm. And it's because you know what you're doing is wrong. Not going to go specifics, because we will talk about specifics here in a minute. We will. But I'm hoping you guys kind of get where I'm going with that gist. Mm. But really, when it comes down to like this question, you know, when you're looking at the church, it comes down. I have like this metaphor that I use. Is kind of I kind of like it in Walmart. You know, is it something? Nominal. I don't like it when Walmart changed the aisles. Mm. All right. Like you go to a store. If I've been going to that store for years and you guys change the aisles on me, I will be mad. Like wholeheartedly. Like, why'd you mess this up? I've been doing this for years. I had a battle plan. This trip was supposed to take me five minutes. Here we are at 15 minutes. It, it messes me up. Yeah. But that does not mean that I'm not going to go shopping there. It does not mean I'm going to stop there. You know, I still go to Walmart, even though they change the aisles sometimes. Mm-hmm. Or is it the fact, like, you know, I don't like what Walmart believes in. You know, I don't stand on that ground. It's what I do. I just go to a different store. Mm-hmm. Walmart isn't selling what you're looking for. Yeah. If they have a different belief and I don't want to support that, go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. There are other churches. We're not all the same. Absolutely. That's become kind of the stereotype. It's kind of like this idea every Christian is the same way. Mm-hmm. No. I mean, Kevin, I'm looking at you across the table. We are not the same person. We are two totally <laughs> radically different people. Come from two different sides of the street. I tell you what. <laughs> but honestly, like our interests, everything, but what what's the thing that unites us the most? Our love for Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why we're doing this thing. That's kind of where the foundation, hey, we're both church people. We love this, you know, we love to play games, we love doing board games, you know, whatever it is. We have some things that connect us, so we stay united, we hang out together, we play games together, we go to church together, we do all these wonderful things. You and I don't agree on everything. If you have not noticed that yet, people, I mean, uh-huh. we've made so many different episodes. If you don't know that by the come time on. you get here, come on now. Are you really listening? <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, if you're going to the church, just because you and I don't agree on everything, 
mm-hmm. doesn't mean we can't spend time together. Mm-hmm. Does not mean we can't worship together. And I mean, you know, we had kind of covered that idea in, uh, I think it was the last Ask a Pastor that we did. I'm pretty sure it was. Um, like, the idea of, like, can small groups be of different denominations? Yeah. Yeah. If you don't agree with, if you don't feel comfortable worshiping there, go to another church. Mm-hmm. But if you're sitting here making the thing where, I love God, I love God, but I don't like what his people are doing with his church. You have to come to the two realizations. One, people are flawed. So no matter what you do, you put a bunch of them in the building, something's going to go wrong. Two, make sure what you think is wrong is biblically based. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people make snap judgments at a church based on what they like and what they feel. They have no scriptural foundation. And that is, believe it or not, like a poison coming into the church. Because, you know... The idea of uh, believers being the body of Christ is uh, found in the Bible very, very many different places. Mm-hmm. It talks about that a lot of different places. And having someone that is coming into a uh, church building and is being divisive is literally like... Uh, just for stupid analogy's sake, your hand like beating up your foot. Mm-hmm. It's it's just uh, harming to its own being. <laughs> You're damaging the body. Exactly. You're just gonna add some bruises. Why? Colossians three twelve through fourteen. Love that passage. For clothe yourself in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Uh, love each other and bear with one another. Mm-hmm. You know, this kind of mentality, and yes, that was not the whole passage. I had it memorized for camp at one point. Colossians 3, 12 through 14, there's my reference. But the idea of to bear with one each other, bear with one another. Mm-hmm. And that's where we're losing a lot of things. You and I disagree. Oh, what's going to happen? Oh, we're just going to leave each other and walk off. We're not going to talk to each other. Friendship over. That is not okay. How do you grow that way? Mm-hmm. You and I don't agree on something. What do we do? We sit down at the table and we talk about it. Mm. It's like, this is why I think this. This is why I think this. Okay, cool. Do we come to an agreement? Not all the time. So we're like, okay. Mm. So what? It could be one of those agree to disagree kind of moments. Yeah. That's perfectly fine. Mm. But we get into this mentality. I'm just going to call it out as it is. We get into this cancel culture where if you don't believe the way I do or if you don't think the way I think, then boom, you're evil. I'm not talking to you. How dare you think that? Honestly, cancel culture is one of the worst things that has happened to the church. It has, majorly. And it's destroying a lot of things. Because it's causing me to, as a pastor, to watch the words I say. Mm. I'm not able to preach as boldly because I don't want to hurt your feelings. Why? Because to be honest with you, if a pastor doesn't say this, they're not being honest with you at all. Mm -hmm. I'm worried about the money. Absolutely. Because the ties, how we want to keep the doors open. So I don't want to hurt everybody's feelings. And that's so, just the reality of being a pastor. You oh, have yeah. to think about that stuff. Oh, yeah. So in the back of my mind is always the money. You know, I know God's going to secure me. I know God's going to keep this door open. If I'm doing after his ministry, he's going to supply the need. Mm-hmm. But I'm human. So I'm going to think about the money part. All the worries of will I actually be okay come into play. Yeah. 
And that's just a human nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, it comes down to that faith. Yeah, God's going to secure me. I'm going to go ahead and preach bold. Mm-hmm. But this idea of cancel culture has come so heavily into the ministry to where if I say the wrong thing, oh, nobody's going to pay attention to me no more. I'm over. It's done. Your ministry's gone. Congratulations. I've been in the ministry for five years, actively preaching and ministering. Mm-hmm. Five years would be a terrible time to end a career. So I'm going to be careful. But then I come onto this podcast. I just tell you guys how it is because the Lord's going to supply it. The Lord's going to take care of it. Mm-hmm. Cancel me. That's what you guys want to do. Do it. Fine. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> Don't cancel Kevin. He has a lot of things going on for himself. <laughs> He's doing great, guys. You can cancel me. It'll be food at the table with Kev. So it doesn't have the uh, same ring to it. It just becomes a, it's just a small person. It's not a small group anymore. (laughs) But like this kind of idea, and there's so many things going into the church now. Like we can talk about progressive Christianity for hours. Honestly, there are so many, uh, prosperity gospel, quote unquote (laughs) Christian beliefs out there. Yeah. That really aren't founded in the Bible anyway. No, I mean, guys, I've, once again, not a paid broadcast, but if you get to, like, the podcast cultish. I was literally listen, just thinking yeah, that. They are groups, like, if we look at, you know, Jonestown, mm-hmm. a quote-unquote Christian-based group yeah, that turned out not to be so Christian. I mean, there's so many things out there that are, are cults now that are classified as Christian that are not. Because if you look at the words that they're saying, it doesn't mash up. Guys, our entire basis for our podcast or any answer we give you is going to come out in the scripture. And I mean, we've we talked about it very, very briefly at one point, but like there are uh, scriptures out there where uh, that are heavily quoted all the time, mm-hmm. but are taken totally out of context. Oh yeah, and Philippians four thirteen. Yes, does not mean you can jump off the bridge. Uh, it's yeah. okay. Um, but that's kind of what some of these uh, twisted beliefs have spawned out of just taking little tiny bits and pieces and saying, Hey, we like this. We're not going to worry about everything else that's over here. Y'all, if we took a Christian belief, a quote unquote Christian belief out of context and just, just show you guys this, show you guys how humorous it is to a point. Mm. Snake handling is that kind of mentality. Yeah comes out of mark chapter eight it's just one verse so you can be able to uh play with fire and not be buried be able to handle snakes and you should not be hurt um, be bit by snakes and not be hurt mm-hmm. y'all there's churches doing that that is a legitimate thing that is and it is terrifying and it is so out of context mm. but they're using that for worship Y'all, I use that as an example because we find that hilarious. Because, like, oh my goodness, who would pick up a snake and dance with it? I'm not that kind of guy. Mm-mm. I've been to one of those worship services. I'm not going back. Okay, no. I went because I was somebody's designated driver because they wanted to experience it. I was like, <laughs> peace out. <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. I'll sit in the car. Come out to the car when you get hurt. But that kind of worship, we find that comical because it is such an extreme. It's obviously a twist in the scripture. But then we let this idea, like, let's take prosperity gospel. Mm-hmm. Oh, the God wants to bless you. Where's that in scripture? For I know the plans I have before you, says the Lord, plans for you to prosper and to grow, not to be harmed. Yes, mm-hmm. do you know that's being taught to Israel in the middle of exile and their entire, like, 
it was being destroyed. completely radically different from where their minds were. Exactly. I mean, they, that was preached to them in a moment where they were exiled and in danger. Mm-hmm. And God said, oh, I have plans for you. Mm-hmm. That does not mean God wants you to give somebody on the TV a $1,000 and you're going to get tenfold back. Not how that works. No. That's just a way for you guys. If I looked at you and said, hey, donate me $100 right now to the podcast and you shall get $1,000 back in return. I'm not paying you $1,000. I don't know where the $1,000 is coming back from. Mm-hmm. Don't come talking. Wayne, where's my $1,000? No. Stay over there. If you want to donate to the podcast, for more than free, that's available through Anchor. Thank you. But honestly, we're not here to honestly get that prosperity ministry out of there because that's not what God said. Honestly, this world's supposed to be hard. God, Jesus says that black and white, that there will be uh, times of persecution. Mm-hmm. People are going to hate you. Mm-hmm. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, hey, follow me. But don't worry. People are going to hate you after this. Mm-hmm. Do I want to be a follower? What of kind of prosperity is that? Yeah, come on. I thought the Lord said I was going to be protected. Yes, you know, every disciple was killed in a very brutal way. Mm-hmm. I think only one lived to old age. I think it was Bartholomew. Uh, maybe. I think so. I might be off on that, but only one of them lived to old age. You know, Paul was beheaded. Mm-hmm. Peter was hung upside down on the cross. Because he, uh, it was hung across upside down. He was hung that way because he did not feel worthy to be like Christ. Another disciple was uh, crucified same way. Uh, there's another disciple who was boiled to the death, and then all of a sudden did not die. Like he was boiled to death. He was supposed to die. Did not die. So he got exiled to the Isle of Patmos. That is John the Revelator. I did my studies today. I was really excited, <laughs> but. These disciples knew that this was not going to be an easy job. Yeah. So there's a lot of teachings that go into the church that we have to be careful of. You have to be working on. And honestly, if you have no fundamental basis within the word of God, check that faith. Like the last time I got asked a question on uh, is the idea of like kids, the age of accountability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where's that found in scripture? It's not. It's found on the personhood of Christ. You know, we explained that. Believe with that as you will. Think about it as you will. That's the whole point of this. We're giving you the information to think about. Yeah. But the thing is, is when we answer these questions, we're going to the scripture. Mm-hmm. We're using scriptural basis to show you, hey, this is why you do this. Mm-hmm. This is why this happens. And that's that's part of why we started this podcast, because this is kind of a space for us to sort of call out that uh, false teachings, mm-hmm. um, which the Bible says for believers to do. Yeah, rebuke it. Mm-hmm. I mean, y'all, if you have not read the book of Jude, read the book of Jude. It's one one chapter. Read through it. That's all it is about, mm-hmm. is rebuking these false teachers and these false beliefs. Mm-hmm. When we look at these passages, we're, we're able to look at you guys and say, hey, when you're loving God, but not loving what man's doing with his church, make sure that what you're loving is God and make sure that you're not hating things that God has put specifically into church. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to take this to another step because I think we kind of, we went down a path and came back. So we're going to come back to this question. Yeah. Real quick. <laughs> but honestly, if you're not looking, liking what man's doing with his church, be the change of it. Absolutely. You know, I'm going to 
I was uh, watching some videos, listening to another person speak for a little while, and they were talking about the idea of toxic masculinity. And within the idea of toxic masculinity, a lot of men, like this might, might be one out of ten men who is considered toxic. They have this super masculinity that's doing damage to the community, that's doing all this. But the rest of the nine of us are like, well, that's not me, so I'm not a part of the problem. Well, and me not reacting to it, me not, you know, helping the cause, helping to be better, and helping better not myself. actively fighting against. Yeah, then I become part of the problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like everybody who's like, well, in Nazi Germany, the people who helped them, who didn't do anything, were they just, no, they're just, bad. you have to stop the Nazis, right? Mm-hmm. That kind of mentality. Both of you guys know which comedian that is. But um, <laughs> in that kind of mentality, if you're sitting there going, look at the church, oh, no, it's doing bad and you stay on the outside go, I'm just not a part of that. You're just the much the problem. Mm-hmm. If you're looking at the church and say, hey, they're going down the wrong path, mm-hmm. join the church. Well, I mean, let's think about uh, the Apostle Paul. Mm-hmm. There are whole a lot of books of the Bible that he wrote addressed specifically to different churches in an attempt to kind of be that person. Mm-hmm. Uh, as kind of like, hey... Here's what you're doing good, but here's what you're doing really bad too. Fix it. Yeah. Well, I mean, we would look at the book of Revelation too. The letters from Christ to the churches. Mm-hmm. That's how he structured. It. Here's the good. Here's where you're doing wrong. Fix it or you're no longer part of me. Mm-hmm. Y'all, as bodies of believers, if you come into my church and I'm doing something wrong and you don't correct me, you're just as much the problem. Mm-hmm. Come up like... Take me aside. Do it scripturally, which is going one-on-one. If that doesn't yeah. work, two-on-one. If that doesn't work, take it to the church. You know. But if you stand up, oh my goodness, I can't believe you. No, sit down or get out. Mm-hmm. Because what you're doing is you're being a disruption to worship. You are making it about you. Yeah. That's not okay. Not okay at all. But if you can be a part of the solution by stepping up and saying, hey, you know, this is where you messed up. Hey, how can we... How can I help better? Kevin, there's one thing I really loved about how your mentality was when you came to our church. Was you came in here and looked at it and go, hey, here's some weak spots. Plug me in. Where can I help? Mm-hmm. Wayne, I know you're struggling. Hey, church, I know you need some help. Plug me where you need me. Do that. If more church people, and Kevin, I'm, I'm not trying to boost your ego here. I'm really not. But if more people were like you when it came to the church where it's like, hey, I know you're struggling. Plug me in where you need me. Mm-hmm. Ministries be off the hook. People be reaching with gospel all the time. Why? Because what's happening is the pastors are having to worry about the holes. Yeah. So we're not able to give the gospel. You know, that's the idea of why deacons were established. The deacons are meant to worry about the body. Why well, I'm supposed to worry about the spiritual. The pastors mm-hmm. are supposed to work about the spiritual. If the pastors were able to focus on their own learning the scripture to be able to preach and deal with your spiritual side and didn't have to worry about the everyday function of the church and all the little holes that have to be plugged in so the live stream might work or the Sunday schools might work or whatever needs to work, church will be so much better. Yeah. We need to get into that kind of mentality. The problem comes in whenever, because, you know, God calls all of us to be uh, working within his church, to be mm-hmm. active parts of the body. And the sad reality is there are a lot of people out there who, I like to call them just pew sitters. Yeah. They come in on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night or whatever, and they go and they sit on their pew. Mm-hmm. And, and that's it. And that's an issue because God has called each and every one of us to 
do something. God's given us all different talents or skills or whatever, and he's called us to be good stewards of that. Definitely, and that's one thing. Uh, study the spiritual gifts. What's the point of your spiritual gift? It is meant to edify the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. It is meant to go into the church and be used in the church. Not for your own personal gain, but for the glory of God. Mm-hmm. If you're sitting here looking at me and you're sitting in the pew, and let's say you are very talented playing the piano, what good is that with you sitting in the pew? Well, I could use a piano player. Mm-hmm. You know, you're very talented with uh, graphics on the screen, stuff like that. What good is it of you just sitting there? Why don't are you stepping up to say, hey, let me take over the social media team. Let me run that. Mm-hmm. Why aren't you partaking when you have skills be be an active search of a way that you can help out to improve anything and everything one of the biggest blessings i've gotten recently was somebody looked down in the bullets and said hey came up to me was like hey pastor wayne i know that there's an opening here can i do this okay i was like yeah when do you want to start and they're like i don't know when you want me to start this is on a sunday i was like how about wednesday they jumped right in Mm-hmm. That's what we needed. I needed somebody to say, "Hey, how about Wednesday?" And think if if more people in the church were like that, think of how much the church would be able to accomplish. Yeah, because everybody's doing something. Everybody's mm-hmm. working. Y'all, I'd rather the sanctuary be empty Sunday because we're all doing different ministries, reaching people with the gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that might be a not popular t- way to say that. But I'd rather us, you know, the pastor be too busy out there reaching people, preaching the gospel on the front steps of the church. And sitting in there because all these pew sitters are sitting there and they wanted something. Mm-hmm. If the whole point of you come to church, yeah, come to grow, come to learn, mm-hmm. come to be an active part of the body of Christ. So when you are this kind of person, when you come into the church and you're not loving what man is doing to God's church, mm-hmm. be the change there. Absolutely. Step in, say, hey, this is it. But I do have to caution you, and I keep going back to this. Make sure what you're saying, what you're not loving. Mm-hmm. It's found in scripture. It goes against scripture. Because if you're going against scripture with your idea, that's where we really need to come to this line of mm-hmm. if you and God got into an argument, you're most likely the one who's wrong. Absolutely. And you really need to check it out. Because uh, 10 out of 10 times, you're the you're one the who's ones. wrong. So check that first before we do this. Uh, talking along those same sort of lines, uh, we do have to keep in mind that the church is still made of people. And people are uh, sinful beings, and uh, but within us being sinful creatures, there is still that grace and the mercy and forgiveness of God to where we can still go and do things for Him. And that kind of brings us to our next question, which this one could be a pretty controversial one. Oh no! Okay. However, I am very firm on my opinions when it comes to this sort of stuff. <laughs> um, so don't be surprised if I get a little fired up. But question number three: Are those of different sexual orientations still image bearers of God? The answer automatically is yes. Yes, absolutely. I mean, wholeheartedly. I mean, when we look at the idea like Genesis chapter 1, 26, um, mm-hmm. like part A, so like this is like the first part of that verse. It says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Boom. For some reason, a lot of people like to quantify this. Mm-hmm. Only people who are image bearers of God are those who are in Christ. No. He did not say man who believes in God. 
or um, guys, when we look at this idea of man, yes, it's the creation of Adam, but I'm also going to look at this idea of the idea of humanity here. Mm-hmm. We're all made in the image of God because man and woman alike were both created by God in the image of God. We go down this roll. Like, I mean, look at. Yeah, that can be kind of hard to think yeah. about. But. Take James 3 9. Mm-hmm. This is this. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. People who are made in the likeness of God. Yeah. People. All people who are made in the likeness of God. Can I stress this much to you? It is everyone. Everybody. Guys, here's the deal with being an idea of like an image bearer. We all represent what God the Almighty looks like. Mm. You know, we are made in mind, body, and spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I mean, we're built in the same structure. Mind, body, and soul, depending on which one you look at. But when we look at this idea of being an image bearer, all of us do it, but some of us don't act like it. Mm. And that's okay. So when I look at like the sexual orientation, we look at like the LGBTQ+, and this is really bad timing for us on this question, but it's okay. But when we look at this question here, when we look at the LGBTQ+, when we look at all this, what it is, is we're looking at a group that, yes, is inherently sinful. Mm. But so am I. Mm. That's just not my sin. There is no difference between them and us whatsoever whenever it comes to our sin. In God's eyes, all sins are equal. Well, see, I'm going to come to an argument on that one a little bit here. Because all sins are equal. But there comes to there has been a huge emphasis on uh, sexual sins. Uh, sins of the flesh is that's what they true. call them. That's true. And um, that's where we kind of find ourselves in this, like this boat here. I mean, we've talked about it on this podcast already. Within sexual sins or within sins of the flesh, we find uh, sexual, homosexuality, uh, pornography. We find all these things. Uh, Sex outside of marriage. Thank you. I was trying to find the, the big word that goes with it. I was like lost it, so it's okay. But you know, sex outside of marriage, all these different things that come into this category. The thing is that comes down to it is, yes, although you have committed that sin, you are still an image bearer of God. Yeah. My heart, my, my easiness to this, what I, what I really want to kind of push is yeah. where do you find your identity? Yeah. If you find your identity in your sin, if that's where you're standing, you don't find your identity in Christ. Mm-hmm. Now we have an issue. Because one of the things for certain guys is me and Kevin go rounds. We can go for days telling you all the sins that we've committed. Absolutely. There's no way that we're perfect. That's why I was like, you know, the biggest hypocrite in the church is the guy standing behind the pulpit. Because mm-hmm. we're telling you, hey, stop being a sinner. When we're sitting up here being a sinner. I mean, it's true. I used my hand gesture there. It's really kind of fun. I was like, why am I doing this? Nobody else but Kevin can see this. No Come on. <laughs> but we are the biggest hypocrites because we are the ones found in our own sin mm-hmm. here. But the thing is, I don't identify as a sinner. I am a sinner saved by grace. Yeah. I am a saint. God, I don't claim that as my title. God calls me That's, that. Yeah. I mean, we can find in the book of James, we call the saints. And not even just the terrible football team or, or the saints. Uh, there's a good slam there. Sorry. Yeah. It, it fell hard because I realized. Somebody out there. Somebody so, got that one. Yeah. Kevin didn't care too much for it. I'm not a sports guy. No, so. I don't blame you. I am sometimes, but not all the time. But that's really where we come to this idea of like sexual orientation. Why is it a huge issue? It's because where you really find your identity in it. And when it becomes your entire personality, when anything becomes your entire personality, when anything becomes your 
let's let's backtrack that. When anything becomes your entire identity, mm-hmm. that's outside of Christ. There's an issue. That's an issue. So that's where I really want to kind of stress to you guys here with this idea of being an image bearer. Yeah, you are an image bearer. And that's the only way that we can make reconciliation in the church is I have to recognize that I'm not looking at somebody who is just destroyed and arrogant and just absolutely sinful. I'm looking at somebody who bears the image of God the Almighty, the same image that is within me. If I can see that, when I can look at you and see a part of me in me in you, I can look at you and see the part of Christ that's in me that's also in you. Mm-hmm. All the reconciliation, all the problems that we have, we can come to an understanding. We can come to that baseline. You know, we were talking about this a couple seconds ago. This is why, like Kevin, you and I, the reason why we can be so much of on this equal ground where we don't hate each other, where we're not angry when we disagree. It's because we see Christ in each other. Absolutely. We see that love that's there. Because I'm not coming at, like, Biggest thing I want you guys to know is I'm not here to hate nobody. Mm-mm. You know, this idea to love the sinner, hate the sin idea. You know, I'm here to love my neighbor as thyself, to love God the Almighty, with all my body, mind, strength, all that wonderful thing, the first commandment. <sighs> Y'all, I'm having struggles today. I'll be honest with you. But with all my soul, mind, body, soul, and strength, everything that's within me, mm-hmm. all of my being, I'm supposed to love God first, and then I'm supposed to love my neighbor as thyself. You know, Martin Luther kind of brings up this idea that when we don't do, like, what is the greatest trespass then? What is the greatest sin? It's when I don't do those two things. Mm-hmm. When Christ says these are the two, these are the two greatest commandments, and all the law are found if in them. Mm-hmm. If I don't do those two things, I have sinned the hardest. I have done the greatest sin possible because I have done treason. I have committed treason against God the Almighty, who told me, "Hey." Love me with all of you you are. Then love your neighbors as you would love yourself. And it's very simple. That's There's nothing about that that's complicated. No. I mean, not to say that it's not difficult. No. Because it could be very difficult. Oh, yeah. However, but, it is very simple what God has commanded us to do. One thing is for certain when it comes to Scripture, when God's commanded us to do something, he did not want to make it hard on us. He didn't want to make it hard for us to understand. Mm. He's like, I'm going to be very clear to you. Don't be stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do we do? We go off and be stupid. They go be stupid. One thing's for certain when it comes to this idea, and these are the two greatest commandments, and this is where we kind of, I want to caution you on this, though. Just because I said these are the two great commandments that God's given us does not make this only God's, uh, this does not make this God's only characteristic. And that's where we kind of come to the struggle, especially when we look at the LGBTQ and see them as image bearers and see them at this level is we say, oh, well, God is love. So God's going to love me anyways. Yeah, you're right. God's going to love you. But God's not just love. It's, uh, you know, there is some passage in scripture. I can't I can't remember exactly where it's at. Um, And I've heard a lot of people say this kind of jokingly. Um, but it's the idea of, uh, God has saved us from our sins. So do we keep sinning? <laughs> no, it's like that save point in the video game. Like when you yes. hit the save point, oh, yes. from here, or, uh, when you know, you're about to do something really stupid. So what do you do? Mm-hmm. Hit the pause button and go to save. Now I'm going here and destroy the whole village. Oh, well, why? Cause I can hit load and go back to that spot. And no worries. Nothing, everything's like nothing ever happened. 
Yes. That's right. When it comes to salvation, what happens is I am saved. I am born again in Christ. All the sins I commit from there on in have been forgiven by Christ the Almighty. Mm -hmm. It does not mean that I can continue to go on sinning. Because mm -hmm. I am no longer myself. I am a new creation. I am no longer. That's why I'm looking at you, God. Yes, I told you to stop sinning. But my identity is not within my sin. My identity is within Christ because I have been made new in Christ. Absolutely. So I'm not the old sinner I was. Mm -hmm. So when you look at this idea of being an image bearer of God, especially within the, like, the LGBTQ community, mm -hmm. within these sexual sins, because I'm not just going to go after LGBTQ on this one. Any sexual sin, any sin of the flesh, because God puts a huge emphasis on these. Mm -hmm. And I think there's, I think there's some uh, passage of Scripture where he says that all the other sins are sins uh, outside the body. Yeah. But sexual or sins of the flesh are sins against yourself. Yes, because not only are you hurting yourself, uh, our body is a temple. A lot of people hear that. And a lot of times, oh, no, well, that means I can't do anything to my body. My body's not my own. The thing is, and all, honestly, in reality, is that's not a negative thing. Mm -mm. You belong to God the Almighty who has nothing but wants you he looks at you and says, I love you so much. I want to see you be perfect. I want to see you live and be happy. I know it's going to be hard. I know I'm not promising you like the whole mentality within the Marine Corps. I'm not promising you a rose garden. As we said, you're going to be persecuted. People are going to hate you. But I want you to know what true love is. Absolutely. And how do we find true love is when love is found within us by the Holy Spirit being a part of us. Absolutely. We find love within Christ. So when we have this idea of like the, the fleshly sin that's hitting us and hurting us, the reason why it's so hard on us is because it tears us apart. Mm -hmm. I can be angry to somebody else. And that anger, yeah, it could tear me up a little bit. It will never tear me to shreds. Mm -hmm. It would never destroy who I am, my identity. But when I do something that damages me, when I lose virginity, when I lose that, that step, there goes everything. Yeah. I mean, that's where we find a lot of problems and this is coming from like coming from the counselor side of me mm. this is where you find a lot of issues that fall within the girls that come to counseling a lot of the issues that come with some of the boys that come to counseling is oh this is what happened to me this is what the damage happened and this is who i am now because of this and i'm sure that there are a lot of people out there who can relate to that simple mentality definitely and it's a sad because it is a sad reality there's way too many people and, you know, that's one thing that about this world that has crushed my heart so much is there's way too many people with a very similar story like that. Mm. And, you know, just as kind of a, a last little word of encouragement before we move on to the next question. Um, you know, I've met some LGBTQ plus uh, people who have uh, been believers who say that they have accepted Christ is their savior and everything. And um, that is just something that they struggle with. Mm -hmm. And if you are listening and if you are in a situation like that, first I want to kind of, uh, I want to encourage you in the sense of this is no different than some sort of, addiction to whatever mm. um but i also want to encourage you and say that uh god can help you uh 
get through to the other side of where you might be stuck in. Just because right now you may uh, identify with this sort of lifestyle. Um, and you know that God doesn't necessarily agree with that. That is okay that you are there right now as long as you are seeking God, trying to figure out how to get to the other side of it. Yeah. I've said it already multiple times, and this is where I want to show you. I really mm-hmm. want to, this will be my little feed in here. When your identity is within your sin, mm-hmm. There needs to be a change. Mm. Your identity needs to be found in Christ the Almighty. Because when your identity is found in Christ the Almighty, you'll find out that a lot of the things you struggle with, a lot of things that you've been brought to, all the temptations, you're able to fight them a little bit better. They don't necessarily go away. No. But it makes the struggle ever so slightly easier. It does. One thing is for certain, when we look at people like porn addiction, does the temptation ever go away? No, but they find it to be easier and easier to fight it off. Mm-hmm. When it comes to sins of the flesh, it is the same. The battle becomes easier because you know how join the battle group. Step mm-hmm. up. All right. We can go into the whole psychological part of it. I'm not yeah. going to do that on this TikTok today. Or, yeah, on this TikTok, <laughs> on this podcast today. But one of the biggest things is, is, guys, your identity should be found in Christ and in Christ alone. And here's here's a little call out to the church from me if you know somebody who is in a situation that we're talking about and you are a church member one don't you dare go after them in any sort of hostile way or whatever but number two this is a fellow believer it's up to us to go and help them through whatever kind of situation that might be uh, that they might be struggling with, they will know that you are my people by the way you love one another. Exactly. When and we kind of go back. I know we like, hey, we got to go to the next question. You know what? If we go long today, we go long today. Mm-hmm. Just where I'm at. One of the big things that we need to go back to is this idea of. Get the log out of your eye before you get the splinter out of somebody else's. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm supposed. I'm a fruit inspector. It's as a Christian, I'm a fruit inspector. I'm gonna look at my belief and say, "Hey, I know you're struggling," but that doesn't mean I'm gonna sit there and go, "Hey, stop being a sinner." I'm gonna look at you and go, "How can I help?" Yeah. How can I get you better? How can I get you closer to Christ? How can I help you in your walk? Absolutely. That should always be be the end goal. If that's not where you're at, if you're sitting here going, nah, uh you're a dirty sinner, get away from me, everybody's going to look at you and go, but look at your sins. Mm-hmm. People come up and go, the go- give the gospel to people within this community all the time. They say, well, you got to leave all that behind and go to Christ. Do the full 180. A re- repentance is not a full 180 turn right away. Mm-hmm. It's a change of focus. I'm no longer looking at the way I'm going. I'm looking at behind me. I, I used to run track, which if you saw me, you would say, no, you didn't, but it's okay. When I was running track, my coach used to tell me, hey, Wayne, stop looking at your feet. If you look at your feet, you're going to slow down and you'll never go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Look at the goal. When you can look at the goal and you keep your eye focused on the goal, you'll get there a lot faster than you thought. Mm-hmm. When we repent, it's this mentality where I stop looking at the me. I stop looking at where I'm doing it because what happens is I get so focused on myself 
and what I want and what my needs are and all these things, all these different feelings are within me. Mm. When I repent, I look to Christ and go, Christ, I don't want to be here. This is not where I'm supposed to be. And Christ goes, you're right. Come on. That's repentance. That's looking at Christ. Christ saved me. And Christ can come in. He can do a radical change in your life. Or he can look at you and go, keep your eyes on me. Let's walk out of this together. Absolutely. And it's a walkout. It's not going to be a, a dramatic change. It's a walk. There's there's this, uh, I think it's a poem or something like that, that I heard a long, long time ago. Um, I think it's called like Footprints in the Sand yeah, it's or my, something like that. I have the painting uh, up there. It, yeah. <laughs> I just now noticed that. But um, I don't remember exactly how it goes, but basically the you idea. You want me to tell you? I can tell you. Go for it. <laughs> Footprints in the sand. It was like I, one night I was dreaming. I looked upon that. I found myself standing upon a beach. As I looked up into this on the on the shore, I found that the footprints were lining down. As I looked up, I saw different parts of my life and different memories. And I realized that the memories reflected on my steps. And next to me was Christ. And I realized why I was in the dream. During the hard parts of my life, there was only one set of footprints. But during the easy part, there was two. And so I looked at Christ and said, Christ, why? Why wasn't when it was hard in my life that you left me? Why did I have to go that through with that by myself? And that's when the Lord looked at me and was like, well, you see only one set of footprints. It's the moment I carried you. Mm-hmm. Where you see two is where we walked side by side. Mm-hmm. The painting that's sitting behind me was done by my sister. And I love that painting so much because I was sitting at camp one day. And the, the story is really important. I'm going to let you jump into this because you really sparked me here. I'm sorry. You know what happens when I get excited. Uh, I just go. But the painting that's behind me, what you'll see is you'll find in the middle of the painting is a picture of Jesus Christ carrying some honey upon the sea, upon the sand. And all in the background is nothing but the shadow with his two giant red eyes. And it's in life when we are struggling so much, when we find that the devil is after us, when we feel like we are struggling so much that the sin has pushed us so far down. It's the moment Christ picks us up and he begins to carry. Because if you look at that painting, None of the darkness ever touches Christ. Mm-hmm. And it sparked me because I looked at, I had this picture pop in my head at camp and I called my sister. I was like, Bree, I need you to do this because I'm not an artist. Can you make this? And originally it was Christ and the person walking side by side. My sister said, no, that's not how it is. And she put him in his, in Jesus's arms as mm-hmm. he was carrying him down because he was not strong enough to stand on his own. Mm-hmm. When we look at the Kevin, I'm going to jump the back. I'm going to give this back to you. I'm sorry. <laughs> but when we look at the moments, like these people who are caught up in sin, like sin in general, when you have somebody who's caught up in sin so deeply, that that's all that they know, that that's who they are, that's where their identity is found. That's the moment Christ keeps them up and says, hey, no, you are found in my arms. Mm-hmm. You can't do this on your own. I know. Let me carry you out. Let me help you out of here. Mm-hmm. Let me do this. And so that whole story is that beautiful, um, that beautiful idea of uh, Christ carrying you through the tough times and everything. Um, and I, I want you guys to kind of take comfort in that. But I also heard this, this one guy uh, who he actually like preached a sermon on this poem. Not just on this poem, but uh, he was saying that that's not 
always necessarily how we're going to think that it's going on. The spots where there were two footprints, there should only be one. Because we need to be following so closely in what God wants for us that we should be stepping where he is stepping. It should be that much of a, I am striving after being exactly or as the closest thing as possible that I can to Christ. Mm-hmm. And there are, there are some times where uh, in those hard moments, it will probably feel like we're kind of alone. Um, and I mean, especially if you're dealing with uh, any of this sort of LGBTQ plus ideology. Um, Your people hate me, so you obviously hate me. Yes. Um, if if you are a Christian and that is what you're struggling in, look after Christ. Look, set your eyes on Him, and try your hardest to be stepping in His steps. And I. I'm sure because I've been through struggles of my own that once you get through to the other side, that it will feel so much more fulfilling. I tell people who counsel with me in this is you're not going to be looking back a month from now and go, look where I was. Mm. You're going to be looking five years from now and go, wow, look where I was. Because it it's a journey. Mm. It's a battle. Battles mm. take time. Mm. Wars are fought over years. When we take that kind of idea that this is going to be, this is a struggle, this is a fight, we learn very quickly it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. We're going to make it. God said we're going to make it every time. I feel like that is just your life anthem at this point. It has become my theme song through and through. I love that song so much. But we really, if I could stress one thing, on this, this I know I've been asking if I could stress one more thing, but here's one thing I do want to stress, and this is something I'm going to ask, I'm going to beg, I'm going to plead. A lot of people right now are out here proclaiming that they are Christ followers, mm. and they're telling you that, hey, you are okay in that sin. Go to the scripture. That is not a biblical idea whatsoever. Anytime somebody says you're okay in that sin... They're not telling you what Jesus said. Jesus did not come here to leave us in the dark. He came to redeem us from the darkness, to draw us out into the light. And the light can be harming. It can hurt our eyes as we step into it. It's not going to be fun. But as we stress so hard on this, go back to the scripture. Realize that some of these words that people are saying were not in the Bible until like 1946 are in the original Greek and Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Do the study. If you need help, reach out. We'll show you the information. We'll share with you whatever we can. We're here for you guys as well as we are for each other. Absolutely. And we would love to be that part. We'd love to help you with that. And kind of running with what you said about the uh, Greek and Hebrew, um, we're going to kind of twist to what. Uh, I don't like the fact you said twist. Hold on. More of a lighthearted. <laughs> Uh, thing. Are uh, you twisting scripture right there? Was that what you? Not, no. <laughs> Please don't hear me. 
that I'm doing that. Yeah, no, you, said, not. you said twist, and uh, I was like, oh, no, we were talking about the scripture. Going, you're going, going a different direction. Uh, that's a better way of phrasing that. Uh, but our last question for today, what are your opinions on the different translations of scripture? Is one more accurate than the other? The King James Bible is the only Bible. That was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. See, I say that because for you out there listening, I do work at a radio station, uh, and it's a old country like gospel radio station. We have a bunch of preachers on there. And there are a lot of preachers that come up on there, and that's legitimately what they think. Hey, I'll be honest with you. I, you know me. I grew up in that church. I know what I was like yeah. to be King James only. Uh, when it comes to tra- – like, uh, let me give you the serious answer here. Uh, when it comes to translations, uh, if you can go to the Greek and Hebrew, if you learn the original language, that's always the best option. Of All course. right. But when we're looking at translations of Scripture – is there one better than the other? Uh, the one that you can read mm-hmm. is always the best option. Mm. You know, I always kind of look at this. I grew up King James only. And, uh, you know, it's not really King James is the King Jesus version, as some people believed back then. I used to be KJV only is what they used to call us. And, oh, my goodness. I can't believe. You know, I preach from the ESV, you know, the English Standard Version. And the reason why I went from King James all the way up until I started preaching regularly as an interim pastor this past year. And the reason why is because I was so dead set on the King James. I love the way it read. It was very poetic. It's something I can remember. It's why I used it. Mm-hmm. But when I was preaching, I realized it was really hard to read. It's very hard to teach people from. So I went to the English standard first because I researched it. And this is what I want to challenge you guys for. There's two different schools of thought on translation. There's word for word and phrase for phrase. Word for word at once went from the English or the Hebrew straight word to English. The closest thing we had. The phrase for phrase are the ones who went and took like the sentence and said, okay, here's the thought. Write it down in English. And that's how they did the translation. Lifeway has a fantastic model of this. They'll actually put all the different translations out there on like a graph that show you which one's which. All right. How readable is it? How word for word and how uh, phrase for phrase it is. So I used my research. I went after it. And I like the ESV the best. When it comes to translation, I want to read regularly. The one that we use on this podcast is ESV. So translation-wise, honestly, the best translation for you is one that you can read. Like, I'll dog on the message version all day (laughs) because I don't think that it should be a version that pastors use or mature Christians should use. Mm -hmm. But that's because we have taken the message version out of context. The author who wrote the message version, the one who translated it for that, wrote it for his kids to be able to understand scripture. Mm Mm-hmm. Message version is great for little kids to learn and read. It's very, very simple language. Definitely. It's kind of like the Precious, Mo- Precious Moments Bible. Mm. We don't go after that one, but it's not King James. It's not ESV. Mm. It's simplified Bible Bible stories. That's what the message version is for. And just, just for those out there who don't really, who haven't heard very much detail about uh, what some of these versions are or whatever, uh, specifically, whenever we're talking about the KJV, uh, the KJV is the King James version. So, and what was it, 1611 or whatever? Yeah. Keep that in mind. The year 1611. 
King James uh, was like, hey, I'm making my own translation of the Bible. And so they well, translated it out. It's, it's a little bit simpler. Than, it's not that simple, to be honest with you, either. Uh, King James wrote the King James Bible because he was trying to get away from uh, the Catholic Church's rule over just reading Latin. It was the first Bible written in common English at the time. And at 1611, common English at the time. Yeah. It is, I'll be honest with you, if you guys don't know what the King James Bible is, where have you been? It's literally the best-selling book worldwide. If you're a Christian. No, best-selling book worldwide. Yeah, better than Harry Potter, better than Lord of the Rings. Still the number one selling, King James Bible is still the number one selling book of all time. What you got? You're about to make a joke. I know you're coming after me. (laughs) No, not after you. Keep in mind that there could be people listening who haven't been in the Christian world and and don't understand. You don't have to. Like, this is worldwide. When I tell you outside the Christian realm, uh, this book is so common. Everybody knows it. It's the most. John 3.16 is still the most common verse known, even outside the Christian realm. Yeah, that's fair. So, for God's love, the word that he gave his only begotten son. What's a begotten? That, the version that people normally quote uh, John 3.16 in mm-hmm. is normally the KJV. Yeah. And it's this idea, like, what is, what is begotten? Oh, it's be having it. But, I mean, it's always my faith. And- that is kind of the issue that we get to with the KJV. Yeah. And you come down to these certain words. There are certain translations. Like when I, when I do John 3.16, I believe the word begotten is important. Mm. That's why I preach it because for God's only son. Well, the thing is here is I am not just weighing a believer in Christ. I am considered a son of God. Mm. God has adopted me into his family. I am now weighing the son of God in that way. Hold on. Pause, don't take in the I am the adopted son of Christ through the blood of Christ. Right? Mm-hmm. That's where I'm going with this. So I believe the begotten is important because it steps and takes Christ out of, of the equation of just humanity. Yeah. You know, he is God the Almighty as well. So we have that word's important for me. But the reason why certain translations are do we say certain ones are better or worse? It really depends on who you are mm. and what you're trying to read. The King James is not good for everybody. Mm. I will not go against King James. I have like 19 of them sitting right behind me. And I got to be honest, I dog on King James version <laughs> a lot. And to be honest, the reason why is because we dog on the culture of it a lot more. That's very true. Yeah, I grew up in that King James only. I get that culture. I understand why. It's because you have certain translations that took out passages of scripture. Mm-hmm. Well, when I look at it from the, the uh, I'm not, not what to say, uneducated level. But the ones, the more than naive, the ones who didn't go research it as much, mm-hmm. why were uh, those translated differently? Why are the words different? Well, it's because we have learned how to speak Greek and Hebrew a lot better since King James. You know, I'm going to, I've been meaning to tell you about this anyways, and this oh, no. is going to be a funny discussion to talk about on the podcast. So like I was mentioning earlier, I work at a radio station. Uh, and today we had a, we had a guy on there, um, and he was talking about um, the passage of scripture where uh, it is. Oh shoot, I forget the dude's name. Uh, one of the whenever the Christian prophet was going up against all the prophets of Baal. Oh, um, Elijah. Yeah. Yes, I I feel so bad that I couldn't remember his name. Um, and you already know where I'm going. Oh, with this. so. Uh, Basically, in that story, uh, they're having like this little competition to see whose God is actually real or whatever. And uh, they have these lambs or whatever that they're sacrificing. 
Is it Elijah or Ezekiel? I think it's Ezekiel. I'm wrong. Go ahead. Sorry. I can't remember his yeah, name go for right it. now, but uh, uh, the prophets of Baal are doing all these things, and they're uh, trying to get their sacrifices ready and everything, and uh, either Elijah or Ezekiel, whichever one it is, can't remember the name. I hope Wayne's looking it up right now. I'm looking it up real quick. Uh, thank you. Um, but he starts like taunting them, uh, less them and more like taunting the idea of Baal. Uh, this false god that they believed in. It's Elijah. Uh, it is Elijah. Okay. <laughs> um, sorry about that. It is Elijah. Uh, but uh, they had... Uh, it, Elijah started like taunting them. And it was like, what? Did your... Uh, did Baal go out to the bathroom or something like that? That's basically. Yeah. Um, and uh, this guy... Uh, this was one of those guys who was a KJV only, and if you read anything else, you are a heathen. You are the scum of the earth. Um, you uh, were not a Christian because you weren't reading the King James Version of the Bible. Mm -hmm. uh, and this guy goes, uh, I think I can't remember what exactly it says in the King James Version. He didn't read it out of that. But he said uh, what it was in one of the other versions, what it said. And he goes, He said that uh, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal that he taunted to asking, Where did Baal go? Did he go to the bathroom? Now that's just a heresy. Because apparently, I guess, it says something different in the King James Version. But... If we look at the original language, <laughs> if we look at the original language, it does taunt them. Hey, what did you? Actually, it goes a little bit more in depth than that. I mean, it kind of like is he out taking a dump? I mean, kind of in the most English language I can put, is he out pooping? Mm. I mean, yeah, and it's true, and that's one of the things that comes down to it. When we originally translated the King James, it was translated with all the knowledge that we had at that time, which is fantastic. And yeah, it has been updated since. The, the 1611 King James is not the King James that we have today. No, see, I didn't so, realize no, that. It's been updated a little bit since then. I mean, bits and pieces, Schofield, uh, Thompson Chain Reference, all these big like publishers mm -hmm. came in and said, okay, we'll want to fix and update a little bit more here. But they kept the essence of it. Gotcha. That's one thing that not a lot of KJV only will know. But yeah, it's been updated. But when we look at the language, like even when we talk about Cain and Abel, you know, when God came to Cain, hey, he didn't say, hey, where is your brother? He's like, what am I, my brother's keeper? Mm. No, he looks and goes, uh, hey, where's the sheep keeper? And Cain's response was, what am I, the shepherd keeper? And it was like, it, it adds so much level of sass to it mm. than anything else because it's like, oh, what? Do I take care of the shepherd now? And but we really kind of look at it in the that's why going back to the original language is always the best. Mm. Things like Blue Letter Bible, which is a website you can go on that actually shows you the original language, getting a strong concordance, looking at it. If you know Greek or Hebrew, go for it. Go for it. Get a Greek lexicon, get a Hebrew lexicon, go for it. Mm. Whatever you can to make yourself better in that, do it. But honestly, like, don't be so hard onto a translation where you're sitting here going, Oh, everything else is of the devil. That is that is the issue that I have most with uh, the KJV almost because there are so many people that 
support it to that extent. Yeah. Well, that's where I'm gonna I'm gonna charge you here on this one. Uh, yeah, is yeah. Don't go after translation because some people don't come after Christ because the Christians not acting like it. Let me let me rephrase <laughs> that. That is, I think you said it on the ball the first time. I don't. Ah, <laughs> uh, you're right. Yeah, I said what I meant. <laughs> But honestly, and that's where we kind of have to come to the challenge. I can't hate one translation. You can. I hate on the message version so much. Mm. But honestly, when you take the message version and ask for what it's supposed to be, it's a fantastic commentary. Yeah. I like to see it as a commentary. When I read, if I'm not getting it, the message version will come up, the NIV will come up, the NLT comes up. Mm. I have certain things against certain translations because of the academic side of it. Yeah. Like the 1980 version of the NIV. I have an issue with that translation because certain verses were not just taken out and retranslated, they were completely omitted for political reasons. Mm. So I'm against that translation. But when you learn these kind of things, when you do the research and you find a Bible that works for you, that's the translation that's good for you. Mm. There's no one translation better than the other. I prefer word for word. And I'll tell you the reason why is because I like to see that phrase built in English as it was built in the Greek and Hebrew. I don't want you to take it and translate it for me. I want to look at that passage and translate it for myself and see what the Holy Spirit is leading me to know. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm looking for. I want to do the research. I want to take the extra step. Mm-hmm. But if you're sitting here going, hey, you know, I, I want the light work, then I'm going to challenge you to be a disciple of Christ and do the hard mm-hmm. work. Do the research. So, again, whenever it comes to the whole concept of whichever translation you should look at, if you know one of the languages that it was written in, do that. If you don't, get whatever you can read and whatever God will speak to you through, even if it is the King James Version. <laughs> one thing's for certain, if you can get multiple translations and look at all of them, do it. There Absolutely. is uh, there is a kind of Bible out there. It's called the Parallel Bible. Mm-hmm. I have one behind me. I, if you ever want, I don't mm-hmm. know if you've ever looked. It's four different translations right next to each other, which mm-hmm. is great. Go through them. Look at how all of them say different things. That is so important because you're able to evaluate what the Word of God said when it's been translated by other people. And I mean, this this kind of goes back to the KJV only concept. A lot of the people who are stuck in that kind of culture is because they were born in that culture and they haven't been exposed to anything else except for the KJV. It was always marked as the devil. Exactly. And, and I did that. <laughs> that is, that's kind of what I'm trying to get at. You almost mm-hmm. have to, you have to be able to be willing to go into, to challenge your own ideals. Yeah. Because there's nowhere in the Bible where it says you have to read this specific translation. No. Because let's be real, when it was written, there was no need for a different translation. No, it was written the Greek, the Hebrew, and the Aramaic. Mm-hmm. The three languages that were written at the time that people knew. Exactly. So, I mean, that's one thing that is nice. Well, if you look at Jewish culture, like religiously Jewish, mm-hmm. all of them were how to read Hebrew because they read the, uh, the Torah and the Tanakh right out of the original language. Yeah. Which is fantastic. That's why it's a strive for all of us to do that. I'm dyslexic. Reading languages is really hard when I can't, when the alphabet flips on me, it becomes very difficult. Mm-hmm. So that's why I use all the different tools that help me understand it mm-hmm. as much as I can. Reading Hebrew, which is a backwards language, backwards, what you might think is supposed to be simple, 
No, because when the language, when the words are flipped, it doesn't help when you're trying to learn a new lexicon. Yeah. So I get that. Do whatever you can, but do the research. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing within this translation ideology, not one is better than the other. Yeah. Honestly, they're all the word of God. Mm-hmm. Get into it. Study it. I'm, I'm just going to share this on here because I think it's important. And honestly, we're about to run out of time here, so I'll hurry up on this. One thing that's been nice is me and my dad grew up in that church together. I mean, my whole family went to that church. I was exposed to King James only. My dad's been King James only his entire life. Yeah. I went off to Bible school. I walked into my first class uh, for Bible for New Testament. Looked at the professor said, hey, he told me, hey, guys, I want you guys to use a more modern translation. Here's no King James's. And I looked at him after class. It's like, hey, I'm going to use my Schofield. I'm going to use my King James. That's the translation I like. Mm-hmm. Well, that professor looked at me, and he challenged me to look at other translations as well. He's mm-hmm. like, use your King James, but bring other ones if you can, so we can kind of look at it together. I'm like, cool, I'll do that. He challenged me to look outside myself. Since then, me and my dad have been able to have conversations. And he was hardcore KJV only. He still preaches with the King James. And uh, you know, if I ever get a chance to go preach at his church, he's going to ask me to preach on the King James. That's what he prefers. Cool beans. Whatever. I'll do it. It's a good translation. Mm-hmm. But he and I got into the conversation now where he looks at me and goes, yeah, I can understand why you use this. He's like, I get it now. That's that's uh, the point that I am trying to get across, I guess. Mm-hmm. Just kind of be, be willing to challenge your own ideals. And uh, if you are a Christian out there who knows some of these KJV only people be willing to kind of have that conversation. Like, Hey, why, why do you use only the KJV? Be, be willing to almost kind of be that little, Hey, this is what this says. What think, think about that. One thing I will caution you though. And this is coming from the KJV yes. only guy yes. here. So I'm going to stress that is remember we're trained and honestly almost indoctrinated Mm -hmm. in the ideology that King James is the only version and we know how to defend it well. Yeah. And it took a lot of convincing to get me out of that. If you get, and it becomes a battle, walk away. It's not a battle we're fighting. It's, yeah, I mean, really, that's just icing on the cake, I guess. (laughs) It's a good conversation to have. Yeah. Because challenge people, challenge us on our faith. Understand, you know, apologetics is a whole ideology of mm. why do you uh, to defend what you believe. Why do you believe what you believe? Why do you believe? Yeah, that's a great thing. Mm-hmm. But I will just caution you: be prepared for battle on that one because that's a yeah. hard battle. I've been there, <laughs> and I mean, as Christians, you know, we're sort of called to help build each other up. Yeah, and that is one of those conversations where it is sort of. Hey, why do you why do you believe what you believe? Why do you why do you think that KJV is the only Bible that can be considered the word of God? And I'm not kidding you. I have heard people say well, quote unquote <laughs> This KJV Bible is the only word of God. I don't really know about those other languages that it's in i'm not too sure about those i don't i don't really think anything about those but this kjv bible that's the word of god i don't know about that greek and hebrew yeah which that's 
that's really yeah the issue. There, there's an issue with that. Mm. But we're gonna kind of hop off this KJV bashing show for a second. Yeah. <laughs> but honestly, I do want to stress that translation idea. Hey, find a translation that works for you. Mm. And if that just so happens to be the KJV, use it. Go for it. Yeah. If that's what you grew up in is what you like to read, use it. Yeah. But you know, if you're asking me, hey, what translation would I recommend? ESV is a good translation. KJV is pretty decent. I, I guess it. what I'm getting down to is if you are in a KJV only place and you don't understand a thing that the KJV says, which I don't understand it at all, mm-hmm. uh, which is a lot of what this comes from. But if you're in that situation where like you are being forced to try and read something that you don't understand... Find something else. Use a different translation for yourself. Yes. Guys, I'll be honest with you. Uh, it kind of goes back to this identity thing. Mm. If your identity is in the King James Version and not in Christ who wrote the words or who inspired the words. I'm going to call it out. That is the idolatry to the highest degree. It is wholeheartedly. When we put anything else before God the Almighty, that's idolatry. Mm-hmm. and that's what happens with a lot of these KJV-only churches. I will say a lot of them, because there are some KJV-only churches that are not this way. That is that is true. That is correct. And we have to be careful about this rotten apple ruining the bunch thing. Mm-hmm. But just be careful, people. And guys, with that, we want to thank you so much for joining us here on Food at the Table, the small group podcast with Rev and Kev. Uh, we know this is a longer episode, so thank you so much for staying on for the end of it. We hope you got a lot out of it. We enjoy these Ask a Pastor uh, questions because this is a chance you know these are not scripted like yeah we had some questions that we had some ideas hey where do we want to go with this it's great but these this are not scripted. you guys yeah this is what you guys send us mm-hmm. we were not playing on this we waited for you guys and honestly kevin i enjoy these kind of conversations with you because we, we can have, go for hours on this we things. absolutely i uh, mean literally an hour and a half yeah <laughs> <laughs> hour and a half so far but uh we definitely want to thank you guys so much for sending in your questions if you have any more questions please feel free to send them in don't just wait for us to get right near the Ask a Pastor. Start sending them in routinely. Yeah. As much as you guys can, because you never know. We might just do more than just four questions. We might just emphasize on one question. Yeah. You never know what's going to happen. And there's there's no telling if we might even take one of the questions that you send to us and make a whole episode out of that or something. Honestly, that God and social media, that's what that was. That's, yeah. Somebody sent us a question, and we're like, that's great. That's what small group's going to talk about. Let's hit that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what we're here for. Absolutely. And guys, I'll be honest with you. I don't care if you think it's a dumb question. I don't think you think it's too hard of a question. Ask the question. Mm-hmm. Even if you know the answer, ask the question. Because you never know who doesn't know the answer. And you Absolutely. could be really helping somebody who does not know how to voice their question. And honestly, it could be something as simple as what is a small group. Like that... It, Whenever uh, we were finding the questions or whatever, I uh, looked at Wayne and I was like, how could we have overlooked this? Yeah. That's the whole premise of our show. Yes. That's the and whole premise of this we totally thing. just skipped right over it. So for real, no matter what, if you guys, uh, if something pops into your head, even if you think that it's a dumb question, it's honestly, if one person thinks of it, there's probably someone else that thought of it. Oh, yeah. So go ahead and send it to us. Well, Kevin, how can they send this to us? On the TikTok. Yes, I said the TikTok. Uh, Rev.Wayne. All that on the Facebook and the, the Twitter. The Facebooks and the Instagram. What's up? Uh, the Instagrams. At Food at the Table Podcast. 
and the tweets at the Twitter food at the table. Uh, and again, if you feel like sending an email, food at the table podcast at gmail.com. Hey, definitely. And guys, hey, if you don't mind, do us a favor, share a podcast with your friends. Like, honestly, yes, we have uh, ads, stuff like that, they'll come up. That's going to be great. Yeah. All right. But Kevin and I are not in this for the money. We're in here to share this, uh, share the value of the information that we know, yeah. to share this experience with you guys. So, hey, use this as a resource. Send us to everybody you guys know, and we greatly Absolutely. appreciate you guys. But hey, you know, we'll hope to talk to you guys next time on Food at the Table, the small group podcast with Reverend Kev. And guys, we will see you next episode. Bye. Bye.